Hello everyone, I'm here today with the main man Scott Arfield. Scotty, how are you mate, you well? Very well mate, how are you? I am good. Um, how's Charlotte? Let's start there. How is the US treating you? It's great, great. The weather makes everything <laughs> special, doesn't it? Uh, weather is amazing, but so many special occasions so far in the, in the last six months. Like Halloween with shorts and t-shirt was a wee, bit, a wee bit different for the kids, so we're really enjoying it, but wasn't be back here for a, for a month and then go back. Yeah, we were actually out on a family holiday in LA and took in a game. Um, and the, the atmosphere, it's such a family environment. It's much more than a game. Over here, it's passion. But over there, it's like a big event. And I remember being struck about, like, everybody gets so excited to get on the big screen when the camera pans round. And the football was actually good. Yeah. It was an incredible standard. It was um, LA Galaxy, we see. Yeah. And um, some of the players they had, they had the wee guy that used to play for Barcelona. Yeah. And he was, okay. he was absolutely, that's him. Ah, yeah, yeah. He's, he was incredible. Yeah. So the, this, there, isn't he? yeah, so the standard there is, is good. Are you finding that as well? Are you finding it to be a challenge or are you just like comfortably kind of fitting in and doing your thing? A, a bit of both, a bit of both. I think like, the biggest thing for me was when I was at Canada, most of the players at that time in the programme, 2000 and, well, this has been about 2015, 16, they were all based in MLS. Now that's now it's not, now it's a, uh, they're all over Europe, but at that time it was all like I really like I just done something for me, like just the, that experience and all the boys talking. So I always wanted to go to the MLS, mm-hmm. and then when you do it, obviously it's a it's a, an amazing experience. But everything you're talking about there is exactly what it is. It's a it's a family event where um we're football game mm-hmm. and uh, and the families absolutely love it. So it is great and it's been refreshing, refreshing change. Yep. You obviously started your career, you started at Falkirk, then went to Huddersfield and Burnley. You managed a few promotions, came up and down. And then 2018 comes along, you come to Rangers. But before we get to Rangers, it's difficult to ask you to sum up three different clubs, but your career up till that point, you had such a good time at Burnley and things like that. How do I ask this question? I can't ask you to sum up all that career, but... Mm-hmm. You had such a good time in your career up and up until the Rangers' point of view. What's your kind of feelings about that journey and part of your career? I think um, you know I've probably got good sort of affiliations with every fan base. Probably the only one that sort of know as strong was at Huddersfield, but I think that was down to my performances. Um, it was at Falkirk. It was fantastic. Like <clears throat> the fans really took to me, young boy coming through the coming through the academy, which was amazing. I took to them and then obviously go on this journey ourselves and then I leave to go down to Huddersfield and I was a young boy, I was I think I was nineteen, twenty when I left and life's different when you move away from home and um so at that performance and they spent a lot of money at that time in League One, so you know, I probably the fee wasn't replicated in my performances. So and then obviously go to Burnley, um, on the default of that not playing well enough and then really kicked on and, and took it into there. So I've always had strong, strong relationships with every fan base, and, and none more so than here with with Rangers. I think I'm just a, I am, or I'm, I just was a player that sort of, probably relatable to a to a fan that if you got the opportunity at any club, to play for, uh, to play for the team, then you would probably try and do that, run about, make it difficult for opponents, and and uh, make sure you're proud watching the player that you're that you're watching, and that's all. That's basically what my career's been been on. When Rangers come calling, the Rangers fan base already knew quite a lot about you and you'd actually been at Ibrox a few times because Rangers and Burnley had played a couple of times under Mark Warburton. Yeah. If memory serves you right, you were you might even have scored on a wee trip to Ibrox. I did. 
pathways. So we that's <laughs> so we knew all about you when you were coming up here, and there was a lot of excitement. This guy can can score goals, and tell us a wee bit about signing for the club and and how that came about, and and the discussions surrounding two thousand eighteen. When did Rangers become a reality for you? Uh, in uh, February. So I was coming at the the last six months into my deal in, at Burnley and. Uh, contract negotiations at that time we were we were talking quite intensely over the Christmas period and then we just couldn't get anything sort of agreed and uh, where the club thought I was in terms of like the um, the start of living or in the team um, and I spoke to Sean Dice for I uh, probably about three or four months over that period and then just couldn't couldn't get everything going and then I really did want to fancy a change at that time and uh, I'm quite sure that my my wife lost a a gran at that time, so we came up to Scotland. Obviously, for her to be with uh, with a gran and a family, and um, we went back down, and then Rangers came in. So I met up at that time. I met uh, Mark Allen and uh, Andy Scolding with my agent back in Manchester at that time, and we thought like this is it. This is the one to, to bring us back up. And uh, aye, fast forward five years, and you're you're looking back at it with, with very fond memories. So when Rangers would have approached you at that time, it's fair to say we weren't exactly thriving. No. Because Marty would have been care uh, caretaker at that point. Yeah. Would you have any idea that Stephen Gerrard was, was in the pipeline and he would be your manager? No, until I was signing. No, until I was signing. And, uh, so we always obviously verbally agreed it and coming back up. And I got a phone call from Stephen, actually. I went back to my, my sister-in-law's in Livingston, walking around uh, at Craig's Hill, and he phoned me and I had to obviously go to the house. And I seen a couple of the boys across the across the road that I grew up with shouting my name when I was on the phone to Gerard. And I was thinking if anybody knew I was on who I was on the phone mm. to, but it was uh, he was just getting announced. I think he was getting announced the next night or something. And uh, and that was a, that was the thing because he was a hero of mine. So yeah. to have that that moment was special, and uh, that, that was a uh, that was that was a very special time. Like, what was his message to you? Uh, just come in, do what you've done. I played against him. At, um, he probably doesn't remember. He probably just absolutely blagged the phone call. But <laughs> he says just come down and uh, come back up and do what you did down the road. And um, we're going to sign so many players. We're going to have a right good go at turn around in the players, which which did happen. Uh, and it was an exciting time as well. And you know the two or three years that, that it took to win the league, you know it was inevitable we were going to come yeah. um, to win that fifty fifth title. Um, I felt as if sometimes we, you know, we had opportunities to do it in the first two years. So many big games that we just came up short and consistently that's what that's what wins your league when you're consistent. But you know, we managed to do it in the third year, so And we'll get to that. We're looking forward to that part. But what about Steven Gerrard? What was he really like? Because obviously he had this persona, he was an amazingly world class player, mm -hmm. without any doubts. But what was he really like as a gaffer? Probably everything that you thought. Um obviously Michael was his uh, was his assistant, Mick Beale, uh, and he sort of let him do his thing. Everybody knows how good a, a coach Mick is, um, so he just let him do that, and and Stephen was more of the the figure behind it. Um, you know, I've obviously spoke to Dave and Griggsy, who's he's got that aura. He tried to replicate the Walter Smith sort of uh, stance, which is albeit a hard thing to do, but he did have when he walked in the room. He, he you know he had that uh, that aura about him as a Rangers manager, and obviously when you go on runs and uh, you're inevitably going to be successful, then it only adds to his hype and he's and his profile and you know his career before as a player really spoke for itself but he was a top guy great manager very understanding like things off the pitch that fans don't don't really realize and that human and personal touch goes a long way was he was he hard was he oh, he ferocious was hard. Yeah. Yeah, he was hard aye. he was um 
he was cutting at times, very cutting with his words. And uh, I, I really liked. I like managers like that. Yeah. I, I like when they tell it how it is. I, you know, the small talking sometimes doesn't really doesn't really work when you've just said something and it's harsh and like it's put across as a way. Then I liked it. So when it used to dig me or dig one of my teammates, I was never there was no grudges and it's basically just get up and get on it. The early sort of progress under Stephen, obviously there was where we came from when he took over, you're basically more or less rock bottom, third in the league, not not particularly the squad, as you said, got, got more or less ripped up, but there was so much early progress in Europe. That run, you go and you then qualify for the group stages, but you go to Russia, for if I end up at nine men, um, I think there's a famous story he tells everybody at halftime, right, Alfredo's off, don't lose anymore, and then we go out five minutes later. Well, I know. Flannel get sent that off as true, well. That, that was true. Was that, was that good, yeah? yeah that, was, that was very true, that. And his wee scouse accent, uh, Flannel comes back in. Lad, has anyone told you? Set <laughs> <laughs> yellow half, nine men. So, uh, but even at that, like that, that scenarios that as a manager, you need to go through the things. And it was his first his first job. And that, that scenarios that when, you know, the respect goes through the roof because you managed to get back to Glasgow going through and a game that you probably should lose with nine men if you put that in for paper, more than half an hour as well. for more than yeah. half an hour so and all these all these scenarios so it only adds to the sort of respect that you're going to get with them um, right this manager's doing it this minute in time as well he wins the wins the trophy um, against Aberdeen then you know it only adds to his, his repertoire so that was scenarios like that what uh, came that Stephen happened and, and came through with you start to find the net score against St Johnson at home and then score in Villarreal how special was that? I had the first um, European game was was amazing. You know, I t- every every club that I've been to, I've always tried to take the pressure off the striker, running running past them, helping them take the pressure off them in terms of goals. So I think it took me maybe three or four months before I got my first goal, and I was desperate to get it. And it was in uh, in Villarreal, yeah. yeah, in September. So that was a special moment, uh, and it gets that monkey off your back, and it really, you know, gets you gets you going into day in a stadium and a and a game like that was magic as well. I think that's when we realised that team had arrived, if that makes sense, because we're 1-0 down and then you come back and it, it finishes 2-2 and you're thinking that's a great result. Mm. And did it feel like that in the dressing room? Uh, no, it was probably disappointing. Really? I, am, I, am I right in saying that they scored? Yeah, we right went, after, they right went scored after 40-odd seconds, yeah. an amazing shot, and then we went 2-1 up and then yeah. they equalised yeah, straight away. Right. Yeah, straight so, away, right, yeah, right, yeah. After, right after, was it last goal? Right after last, yeah, I so I, it was disappointing, and there were so many scenarios where, in the European runs, there was just disappointment and anger and and regret that Moscow away ben, and Moscow, yeah, yeah. Benfica was another one where three one up, and right. so there was different scenarios where that where that happened. So, and then you need to strip it back sometimes and think, well, like, where are you? Like, where are we as a team? Where are we as a uh, as a collective unit? And then sometimes you take it back, but it's quite hard to do so because you're always knowing that you're you're representing. Rangers and they represent a fan base and an expectation and people put demands on you so it's quite hard sometimes to take it all away and look at look at where you are but to each away Villarreal you, you probably would have took it yeah there's another big milestone in that season that comes just after Christmas time beating Celtic at home 1-0 yeah. and, and Jacko obviously gets the winner but that game's a wee bit different because when we think about Scott Arfield in that game we think about a drop ball mm. and uh, the shorts getting pulled up and getting really ready and that may sound strange for you but for us as a fan base we hadn't seen anybody properly get stuck into Scott Brown and 
all due respect to him, he had boss games for years, but nobody had really got near him. You turned up and made it completely different straight away. I don't know if you realised at the time how much that meant to the fan base of, of that drop ball, and, and that was like a message, almost sublimary, that we're here and we're no longer going to just be pushed aside. Did you realise at the time? Or? No, the significance of anything, no. No, no. It, was a, it was a drop ball, and I'm pretty sure that was the last drop ball that anybody ever contested in because it doesn't, doesn't yeah, really it happen in America. Does it? But um, aye, it was just two players representing different sides of the city, and aye, it was just one of them that you just need to try and win it. And But I, I used to watch old fun games for, for years before I came up, and I had the exact same outlook that you did. Like, um, players just not getting up to players and just kind of standoffish and a wee bit too much respect so mm. uh, in that particular game and it was the first game that sure Jacko scores the, the deflection that game yeah yeah um, and it did signify that you know the, the, the tide is going to turn in this few times and you know as I say we never managed to do it for a couple of years but it was, uh, it was inevitable it was going to happen I think that might have been the first win in 10 years or so yeah. so it was a, a really big win the season finishes strongly obviously it drops off a bit we don't quite do it but everybody can see the progress, and in that, I think we win the last six games, and one of them was beating Celtic at home 2 0. You get your goal and get your moment. How special was that? Ah, it was special. It's always going to be, the, for me, memorised as, uh, as Jermaine's dummy. I think nobody in the stadium seen that apart from me. I just thought, just gamble here. If he turns and if he touches it and turns in the thingy, then he can slip it in. But I just had a feeling he was going to do something that nobody else could see, and just gambled and managed to, managed to get in front of the two defenders and put it in. Special moment, uh, absolutely special. You know, everybody says, but the, the league was done into that. Every game matters when you're a Rangers player. And, you know, for me and for thousands and hundreds of thousands of people watching that game, it meant something. So, uh, there's absolutely no doubt, very special moment. It meant something to me that night as well, I tell you. <laughs> Straight in the pub. But um, <laughs> the next season is really strange because. Covid obviously hits and and everything's kind of up in the air, but we do really well in Europe. We have a good run to go through the group stages. End up playing Leverkusen. We get that big win against Celtic at New Year, and we're we're kind of flying at that point. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to ask, but and and to summarise basically in a, in a minute or two. But how did that go so wrong after hitting those peaks? Was it just not nearly being nearly been there, but just not quite ready? I I think so. I think so. I think if you looked, because it was a brand new era under under Stephen, and you know sometimes we were talking off camera there about some players, and the expectation goes up when you when you're coming into a team and you've got maybe five, six, seven brand new players. The expectation's the second season, so you come in with a, a fearlessness, and and everybody's on you the second season. Like some of the players are going to get here, and they really understand what it is to, in my opinion, to be a Rangers player the next season when people have people have put demands in you, and you're, they're expected to. To be at a level, and we just fell short of that expectation. There's absolutely no doubt about it. As a collective, collective unit, um, as you say, we had a decent run in Europe, um, but everything was sort of uh, the expectation was higher than what the team at the time what, what I thought it was going to be. Just before COVID ends, Rangers had a kind of bad run. They get beat at Tyne Castle, and, and then they get beat at home by Hamilton. Yeah. And Stephen Gerrard came out. And he, and he really was saying in the press that he had to question himself and his future. Was there any ever doubt in the mind? I know there was in the fan base that we were thinking at the time, is he going to walk away? Did you ever feel like that? No, no. I remember seeing that uh, that interview and I remember obviously seeing 
the reaction of that game and quite rightly so. It was a it was a game. The Hamilton game, I never played, I was injured that game, but the Hamilton game had It was a freak, wasn't it? Uh, it was missed a, so it many was one, chances. One opportunity and, Yeah, they took. Yeah, and it, we were good that day, I know it sounds mm. horrific, but yeah. if you win that game three or four now, it's as convincing a win you're going to have at Ibrox. Just so happens that that's what football does. It's uh, it throws these scenarios up to you, but I remember the, the backlash of the, the dressing room after that game was yeah, it was it was it was mental, or quite rightly so. Um but I never had any so I was never discouraged that, that Stephen was going to stay on and, and steer to where it where it eventually happened. They say that the night is that is darkest just before the dawn. I don't think anybody could really have realised what was about to happen. But the kind of evolution of Stephen Jeddar's revolution comes through COVID hits. It's a very strange scenario. Even in pre season, a couple of good results against Coventry at home and against Motherwell. I think we beat them four 0 in a bounce game based on Ibrooks and they looked good. Team was good. Yanis was was looking, looking like he was going to fit in. Roof was fit. There was goals everywhere. But I don't think anybody could have envisaged what was about to happen, and the enormity of of the fifty five season. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It just felt as if, as I said, the second season, the third season felt completely different. When we went into pre season, it felt as if. Yeah, I remember in COVID, um, and you're doing your runs away for away for the team. You don't really get a gauge to where your fitness is because you're not doing it in a collective unit at pre-season but everybody seemed to have that that sort of doubt about the fitness and this fitness levels of the team when we came back was just absolutely sky high because um, you never had any gauge in pre-season with anybody so when we came back in everybody was at peak mentality peak performance and uh, pre-season is the most important thing so if you get that if you get that as a collective unit and everybody at it then it was it was always going to uh, going to be hard to beat us at that season before we kind of go into that season was there a motivation what had happened the, the season before that the season had been curtailed and, Absolutely, and yeah. we hadn't we hadn't had a chance to lose the title that had been given and, and fair enough they were ahead and understand I don't really want to go into that side of it but was there an, an annoyance of the group that we didn't get to fairly either win or lose that yeah definitely yeah definitely is that a motivation absolutely absolutely that's what it was and um but you're absolutely right listen that's that is life. That yeah, was yeah. that was Celtic's title. They got the title. They were ahead at that game. I'm pretty sure there was two old firms still to play in that. I think they were nine clear, and, and we had a game in hand, maybe. Yeah. And then there was the two old firms to yeah, play. So, so, but it's all scenarios. Listen, it was it was done and dusted, and then you, um, COVID happens, and then, as I say, as you come back peak peak fitness. But it was ex- extra mo- motivation. And I remember watching Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, and it just resonated so much that this, it, it, like it was, it was the last dance, and. Uh, and we managed to do it. In that run, very early victory at Parkhead, and that 2 0 game, Connor Goldson bizarrely pops yeah. up with a double. A brilliant performance by the team. It could have been a lot more. And even that, Griggsy pops up with a brilliant save from Lee Griffiths, I think 80 odd minutes on the clock as well. But it just seemed like everything, even at that early point, you were watching, you were thinking, this is clicking, this is going well. We'd, we had drawn at Hibs in a 2 2 game and then drawn at Livingston, I think. Yeah. So it wasn't easy, it wasn't plain sailing, but the team were looking good and they were feeling good. You go and win that game and that subsequently has a massive effect on their season because they more or less implode and Rangers just kick on. Did it feel like that in the dressing room as well? Aye. No, it did. I, I need to say that uh, the Hibs game, that's one of my favourite goals I've ever scored. I need to blow my own trumpet there with, with Yanis, but he wanted to. I loved that, <laughs> I loved that goal. Uh, but then again, it's, it's a two-weeks game and 
nobody remembers it, but for me and Yanis, that was a that was a good goal. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did feel like that. I did feel because um, that was a big win. It was a significant. But again, moment. every time you don't get the result, you need to put it right. Like yeah. you have to put it right. It's and obviously it's hard, and you've got another team there that's been training for five, six days trying to combat. Like our team at that time, we had a lot of technical players. We had ones in behind them. We were just at we were at a level where you knew that. It's going to be hard to stop us winning this league. Um, and there was bumps in the road, of course there was, and there was always going to be, but it is how you react after it. And I felt as if, like every time we did hit a, hit a little a little uh, bump, we felt as if we just kicked on again and kept on winning. There's big moments in that season. There was a Motherwell game just before Christmas. 1-0 down to late on. Cedric gets two, Kamar gets one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we win that old firm game 1-0. It was the own goal. They go down to 10 men. A really difficult game. McGregor produces some incredible moments in that game. They save the league reference. And we maybe don't play as well as we can, but we come through again. We go 10 points clear, then there's a winter break. Mm-hmm. And there's that thing around the winter break where the last twice we went away in good positions and then came back and, and we've been stuck a wee bit. Was there any discussion or anything in the dressing room surrounding to make sure that that didn't happen again? Were you aware of it or, or was, the, was the group aware of the kind of fans' nervousness around that? Probably not. Probably no, no. I think as professionals, you've got this outlook where you do need a break. You, you, you do need it, but you're after it and you, and you know the significance of uh, the position that you're in and how much you need to um, sort of look after what you've created so far. So there was never a nervousness. We knew that we were going to kick on after um, after the winter break at that time. It's, um, but it was never sort of... Uh, a negative thought about mm. coming back and, and really putting that into fruition and I maybe you were more nervous than what the players were but it yeah. certainly never felt like that for them There were so many early big results when you do come back we win at Pataudry 2-1 win at Easter Road 1-0 close but really vital games and then before you know it the title's getting distru- discussed in almost early February it was that quick it does eventually come um, how did that feel? We've, we've all seen the pictures after the, the St Mirren victory and, and the dressing room, Stephen sliding along the mm-hmm. floor and all that. Was it, as much as it was great, was there a, a sense of relief and, and just, I don't know, party ah, fever good, almost? It's a, it's a good word. Relief was there. It was... Because although it's a celebration, there's also, like, this has been three years yeah. and everybody says we maybe aren't going to do it and because yeah. of what was happening, potential 10 and things like that there was a lot of pressure on that group yeah there was there was and that's why it was effectively it was so resonated by the michael jordan documentary that came in through through covid but there was it was there was so much obviously happened isolation there was there was 100 percent there was relief because you have to remember the players went on a journey at uh, 2018 there was maybe five or six players that were still there and we gathered a couple of players so the core of that of that group was it was relief and it was elation that, that you've done it and the journey that it really took to be to win the fifty fifth title of Rangers was what you signed up for in two thousand eighteen. Some players coming in two thousand nineteen, but the objective was the same. Mm-hmm. So it was a as a as a player's scenario to sort of um, really celebrate what you've done as a as a unit and, and close mates at that time. It was a, it was obviously the perfect way to, to sign that off. What about those celebrations that night? Because we were seeing it, we can't saw bits them. of... We can't remember <laughs> There was a video, but we can't remember them. Yeah, was uh, it? No, we all got out. I remember after the... Because we were in the stadium, we went upstairs to one of the lounges, and uh, 
remember the press officer coming over and saying to us, right lads, everybody, there's three buses outside. One's gone back to the West End, which some of the players live. One's gone uh, Volvo and one's gone somewhere else. And I'm saying it's six o'clock, or was it eight o'clock? Maybe it was eight o'clock. And I'm saying, nah, nah, nah. But it was in the height of COVID, so you couldn't, mm. you couldn't really do it. Albeit we were getting tested every two or three days, but uh, I we had to, we had to just go home. And I remember just sitting with a bottle of red wine in, in the house after that, and uh, we celebrated it for three years together. And then it was, mm. uh, it was all finished. How special was it to do it undefeated? Because that's, although it seems like, and maybe people dismiss it, it was an incredible achievement. It was, I. It was, and that was, that was the next objective when you, when you, uh, when you've cemented the league it was an next objective to keep to keep going and make sure that that's a that's a record that will be that'll be hard to hard to beat in the history books next season comes and goes and it's just an incredible season again Stephen obviously leaves November time Giovanni van Bronckhorst comes in what was he like somewhat similar sort of stature to to Stephen um comes in with, with a good staff you sort of knew that from a, a how he used to play because you You've grown up watching these players and quite quite quickly you realised how tactically astute he was. Remember the big European games and and some of the, the tactics was a wee bit because it wasn't what we were used to because it was a different mm. way of thinking. It was a very European and it took a, you know maybe two or three European games to really realise the bigger that we started going in the run, the more tactically astute we, we knew that this guy was. So there's no doubt that um, he's out of job at the minute but he'll be back in and and people will be singing his, his plaudits. I remember John Lundstrom said to us in the press he was amazing, mm -hmm. tactically. Is that how everybody felt? It was incredible sometimes. And it, you know, you're only as good as what happens on the pitch. So you could do everything on a on a Thursday afternoon. Well, we played on a Thursday, but a Tuesday afternoon doing the shape and a Wednesday. But when it happens on the pitch and you really see it on a live, you know, he says that he's going to do this and he'll come up here. And, and it's little things. Well, don't go too early because if you do it. And it was little things that sound so easy. Mm -hmm. But there was so much thought process in it, and then it happens. Remember the the Dortmund away game, the the, the finished photo yes. that, that night, and there was little things that he was saying and, and moving players out out of positions, but half and half positions that the British or the Scottish would just it just wouldn't happen. So he was taking he was taking a sort of football IQ into different different levels and, and really asking them to to trust them, and it, and it did happen. Albeit we we fell short in the final, right enough, but uh, one penalty kick away for. For that being an absolute masterclass. People in my era talk about Parma as being Ibrox being the most electric he's ever been, but that night against Leipzig yeah. was was incredible. How did it feel for the for the squad to achieve what you did? The Leipzig for me was uh, was just incredible, and I think you have to remember as well. It was two days after Jimmy Bell had passed, so it just felt as if there was there was never. There was never a doubt we were going to we were going to go and win that game and, and get to the final. And the noise when when Lonnie puts it in was absolutely incredible. And you've you know the two teams that were favourite for the for the trophy you put them out. Um, and uh, it was it was incredible. And then you you go into the final. There was no doubt from any player. I think the fans. There was no doubt we were going to win that that game. That was a sort of the feeling and the you know fully trusted the manager and the staff behind it and. You know, it actually took us a lot to, to realise that we lost the game because we were so uh, so confident we would go to Seville and win it. Funny story about the Leipzig game when Lonnie put that in. We were, for the press, it was so busy because it's a European game. We were up the back of the main stand, basically behind the director's box, and we were in with people from Sky Sports and stuff. And when Lonnie scored, 
the fan side of you takes over. Yeah. We try and keep it professional as we can, but he scores. And, and the boy from, I remember it was a boy from English Press, and I heard him say, are they allowed to behave like that? Because <laughs> we were badly over seats and all sorts. like So that was an incredibly special was, night. Uh, and was. Parma was amazing for us growing up. That 2-0 victory under Dick Advocates team. They just won the UEFA Cup and Crespo and all them players. But that night, I think, beats it for intensity and noise. And as you said, for the emotion of Jimmy, it's just an incredible night. I think it just galvanised everybody, didn't it? He was an icon of of Rangers Football Club, what with some of the, the best uh, the best managers clubs the clubs had and, you know, the respect. I think you only see, need to see it with the with the Rangers media team when a legend comes in, the first person they want to see it again is was Jimmy. Mm. So I think it really it really um encapsulated everything that that was amazing about uh about that full the full time. So to send them off to um, to obviously get to the final was was very special for him and his family. We fall short in the league, but the Scottish Cup does offer um, some consolation, but a very big semi-final victory, which you come on in and, and score. Mm-hmm. And again, we see Giovanni Van Bronckers kind of tactical masterclass, as, as we spoke about off-camera, decision to put Bassi man marking and, and things like that. And then after the 120 minutes, I think again, Braga on the Thursday to go to Hamden and do that on the Sunday, just incredible achievement by the group. It, it was, and and that's the thing. It's quite common now to see a centre half jump in with the number ten. But back, what was that, two or three years ago? It, it didn't. It wasn't quite a common thing to see that. Maybe in top European teams, we've got the pace and the, the physicality to do it. But I remember he was talking about Roger getting in the number ten. He's a very good player, and Calvin just going in and attaching him. And you know, in training, you could only feel Calvin how strong and his physicality was incredible and it really did for me it's a it's a Calvin Bassey game I thought it was a masterclass for him masterclass for the manager uh, putting putting somebody in to, to go and track Rog- Rogic and he had one of his poorest games like that day and I think it was all because of uh, of Calvin I think he was thought he was sensational that day let's talk about your goal because people when they talk about Scott Arfield at Rangers remember I think most people will point to the semi-final as being your moment mm-hmm. in terms of goals maybe I think that's probably fair because your moment's obviously the league win and stuff like that, so not to discredit that. But in terms of goals, that moment, how special was that? Because there wasn't much of a celebration. There was a salute, but it was everybody back and we went uh, again. Yeah, Did it feel like that? Because uh, it felt like... Because uh, we turned the game from 1-0 down and the momentum just went with Rangers all the way. Yeah. Well, it was the thing. You, you equalise and you've got... I don't know how many more minutes to, to win the game and... I just felt like just let's just keep running, let's just keep running back there. And the actual thing about that goal was Kamara's bad touch. That's what that's what the goal should be remembered for. <laughs> he tries to t- he tries to touch it himself, and I just took it off him. So thanks very much, Kamara. <laughs> but a special moment for you? Of course it was. Of course it was. I and then it's even made special. You know, we look back and we look back in things. But if you don't go and win, against yeah. Hearts and win, then of course it's it's no it's no uh, special or significant. But um, I managed to go on and, and, and lift the cup. Uh, a special day as after. well, yeah. Four days after. Four days after Seville, but they, the club get up for it. And unlucky not to win it in the 90, but again, it goes to extra time and they, they power pass two good goals from Jacko and Scott Wright to yeah. kind of see us there. Yeah, and they were brilliant. He's Scott, that's his, 
That's his stadium, that's his teammate yeah. scoring against Danny. He's it's Ronaldo and Hamden, isn't he? So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully he does it the Sunday to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Into your last season then, um, and Giovanni Van Bronckhurst leaves, things, again, at the point he leaves, are the nine points behind, and it just really wasn't working as such. There was a lot of pressure. Um, Michael Beale comes in. How, how did the dressing room react to that change? Well, most of the players were still there. You know, obviously there's players coming and going and uh, through the seasons, yeah, but I think maybe 10, 10 players still were still there, worked with Mick previously. So when he came in, his message was the exact same. He was he was still the same fella. He was still tactically amazing. You know, I, I am so surprised at how it ended for Mick and I knew how special and how, how important it was for him to, to make it work. It was a big decision leaving QPR where as his home down in down in London to come and I think it was only one club that would that would bring him back back up here away from his family to bring his wife and kids back up. So incredibly sad how it went, but it is it is it is football like um uh, sorry, just before that and then Geo Geo leaves, Mick comes in and uh you know, so there was so many sort of amazing things to see and um but he was still the same on the pitch. He was uh, on the training pitch, he was brilliant. He's best, the best coach or slash manager that I've that I've worked under by, by some distance. I thought his training was was amazing, and as I say, it's quite it's quite difficult to see how it how it's how it's panned out for him. Without kind of delving into his situation too much, but is it fair to say life at Rangers? I know it is as a supporter, but it's cutthroat, isn't it? It's it's survival of the fittest yeah. because you know how difficult the fans are. Like you people. You know, say that you get six months, you get ten minutes at Ibrox to make yeah. an impression. Do you feel that as oh, well? Of course, of course you do, of course you do. And it is a, it's a mentality game. When you've signed, you know, it's different for for a manager where you can be relieved of your duties on, on the back of uh, results. But if you're a if you're a player and you've signed that contract and you're there for, you need to honour that contract. And if the fans don't take to you, or and there's a there's a, numerous amount of players that play in this in this current team that are finding it difficult under this this fan base, but. You signed up for it. You you you're there. You're getting paid by Rangers. You you turn up and you and you play and you put it right. And that's that's what a Rangers player is. It's a it's a mentality game, and you need to put yourself on on the line to be shot doing it all the time, or you will be. You know, you just be another player that came through the doors and, and doesn't make any any impact, and it'll be something that you regret. Finally, we talk about your your kind of your final. There's so much we could discuss. I think we could sit here for two or three hours and discuss your career at Rangers, but. Let's talk about your send off and, and that that kind of final game against Hearts and the way the fans were and stuff. Is that special for you? Oh, so special! That's it. That's the thing that I remember the most out of everything. Um, I got so lucky. I've said this before. There was a, a Sky interview. The five years I was leaving that 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 game, and uh, I think I was the only one that was playing maybe, and or Alfredo's already off. So I was doing an interview with Sky straight after it. So by the time that the boys start walking round with the manager, I've ended up just. I could I could milk the something at it myself, so I I did enjoy that moment. But when I've turned around, all the boys are halfway around the pitch, and obviously I couldn't just mm. come past the Colton Road. I couldn't just go with the boys at halfway line, so I managed to do it, and I did milk the absolute life at it. But as a memory, where I'll I'll cherish, and you know my kids were up there. Kids don't the young wee girls five and seven at the time, uh, four and six, so they don't go to night games. But it was mm. a special game. It was my last game, and and they seen me walking with myself and and felt the Felt the love mutually from myself to the fans and the fans to to their to their dad, so it done no bad.
I think out of all the players that were leaving, there was a feeling amongst the fan base that it was the right time, except for you. You were the one that everybody felt like perhaps there's a question mark over whether or not we're doing the right thing here. Especially where you were performing, because although the, the team kind of curtailed, you had a, a strong season again. Did you, was there any chance that you were ever going to stay? Aye, aye, there was, aye. Um, the, the thing about the sort of conversations that me and the manager Nick at the time had was was game time. Um, I sort of fell in the category where you can you can come on and grab a goal, which isn't a bad thing because you obviously always be in the picture somehow, but when you're a football player and you, you know you've only got so many years left and you obviously want to play as much minutes as possible. So that was uh, the conversation, but it was completely, um, you know, it was, we were on the same page in that thing and he couldn't guarantee that I was going to be here and he couldn't even guarantee that I was going to be on the bench with the players that he was going to sign and his, his vision of the team at that time. And I thought it was just going to be, you know, a good time to get, to, to get off the bus and, and try something new. But of course it was, it was, it was hard to, Sort of have the conversations when you know that it was coming to an end at a, at a club like that. So there was there was discussions at the start, but inevitably it was it was my decision to leave. I. How would you sum up your time at Rangers, and what would you say to the supporters? Um, obviously the fifty-five one was amazing. Um, but the the thing that sort of overrides you is we had the opportunity to win so many trophies and so many medals, and to only have so many after been in the draw for so many that's that's the one that um that eats at you eats at you the most you know you want to you want to be you want to look at your cabinet and see as many medals as you can and uh, we never did it albeit we got the most important moments of 55 so hopefully in, in time i'll look back at that medals a wee bit a wee bit more happy with it before we finish my favorite part of of these interviews quick fire questions scotty so you ready for these ones best player at rangers in my time Consistently, Tavernier. Best trainer at Rangers? I definitely know Tavernier. <laughs> uh, probably say Ryan Jack or John Lundstrom. Worst trainer? <laughs> Take your pick. Uh, Ryan Kent. Uh, best trainer as well, Brandon Barker. Remember Brandon? He said that about him, said he was incredible. Absolutely sensational in training. Just for whatever reason, it just Couldn't. didn't work in a thing. But in terms of technical ability, by far one of the best. Another technical ability, Ovi Ajaria, my first first season there, yeah. first six months. Incredible football player. Uh, what a goal he scored out in the first well. He did, he did. Um, and he went on to do, do quite well at Reading, but in my opinion, never fulfilled his, his potential there because I know he's still young at this minute, but he was he was fantastic. Uh, worst trainer, there's... There's a few, there's a few that's just, but I'll put, uh, I'll put we and I's in there because he will watch this and he'll hate it. <laughs> Best dresser? Uh, I'll put Big Griggsy. He's got a bit of, a bit of style. A bit of class, is he? But he wears these half socks and it does my head in, that's the only thing. You know, like half socks with his ankles and you can still, see if you're going to wear half socks, you can't, in my opinion, you can't let the sock be seen. Do you know what I mean? You hide it under the trainer. He has them out and does my hair in. Um, worst dresser? Greasy socks. Worst dresser. Cantwell. Horrific. Horrific bit. He's got a certain style, isn't he? He's got he? a style. And he doesn't care. Oh, so. He does need to be fair to him, though. 
Must still be freebies. <laughs> Most skillful. Uh, Ryan Kent. And Robbie Ajaria. Favourite Rangers goal? <clears throat> Significant wise, I'd probably say the Celtic semi final, but my actual one of my probably the favourite was uh, Midland away, where I just took the touch and passed it through yeah, his legs, yeah. which was just so nonchalant. I loved that goal. Again, to quickly review it, that's such an underrated result that, that, that night. Was that, it was Next season, I'm sure they qualify for Champions League, didn't they? Yeah. It was like when we beat Willem 3 out in Holland, hammered them 4 0, and it, it became an expectancy. But they, they were a good side, good and that was a brilliant right. result again. So, slightly leaving the way for Hibs that. Hibs as point. well, how good is that? Oh, Hibs. <laughs> Favourite Rangers game? Uh, Leipzig. Leipzig. Difficult question. And. Uh, who was the best manager Rangers you played for? Obviously, Steve and Gio and Michael were all different, but do you have a personal favourite? Um, probably Stephen. Just thought he had a human touch. Backed up with how good Mick was as assistant manager, it was always easy to speak to them. If you've got any problems, where were we, where were we going as a team? The two of them were, and Gaz Mack as well, Tommy Coleshaw. Just had a great sort of balance between them all. Um, all different, all different people but if I was to be be pressed in one I had to choose one and say Stephen. Pick your Rangers five aside team of your five years there. Great question that. Uh, this is your last one so you can relax after this. Right. McGregor. Amana. Of course. Right good. Because <laughs> I'd put myself in it. Uh, <laughs> I'll go away. Big corners brilliant five asides. I put a corner in there. Giggsy, Connor, Marcel, Kent, and where did I put Burnmore? Jermaine Defoe. That would be, if I was taking myself out, I'd put Ryan Jack in. I said it was the last question, but I've almost not asked you about Alfredo Morelos. Mm-hmm. We've went a whole podcast and I've not asked you. What was he like? Uh, hard work at times. Hard work, he was uh, he's an enigma, but my god, he scored goals and did he turn up, didn't he? Yeah, you know, everybody everybody talks about your last season, it's sort of what you remembered first, but you have to remember how good a sign top European scorer at Ibrook. A million pound, mm. was it a million pound? Mm-hmm. I was thinking to commentate consistently put out performances, hardly ever injured, uh, robust physicality, scored goals, turned up big occasions. I dear to sell to supporters uh, and what a bit of business it was. So he was very good. He was the reason why I started learning Spanish, actually. Mm. So I've been learning Spanish for... He can speak English, though, can't he? That's why. That's yeah. why I started learning it. And when I learned it, he started speaking English, didn't he? So I think that was his way of saying that. Just stop learning it. Was he, I was trying to help him at the time. And I'm not going to say was he crazy, because that's an unfair label, but... Um, all the stories of his, his kind of antics in the dressing room and you see the, the, the cup game where he's throwing the sweets at Tav and stuff like that and I think there was an interview Jimmy used to say or somebody used to say him and Jimmy used to wrestle all the time and all that. Uh, was, was that what he was like? Aye, uh, and uh, Disco the, the masseur used to write in his head and sign his head all the time. Bobby. <laughs> so he did used to, but ironically quite quite quiet at yeah. times. Like, like, I met him a few really times know? and he was incredibly polite and yeah, really well-mannered. Like, very humble, very, yeah. very nice boy, just... 
I think he just liked the camera and when the camera came out he, he loved it, that's what he what he what he thrived on. So no, nah, a great fella he is, he, he really is and I do hope he gets back to that form and, and really kicks on with his career. Scott Arfield, can I just say on behalf of the fans, thank you for your service. Like that sounds like sounds weird but we loved watching you. You gave everything and we really appreciated it and I'm sure everybody's gonna enjoy this and thanks for your time you've taken today. Top man. Top man. Four Lads Bite Size Podcast is exclusively sponsored by Rainbow Express in association with Zenith Coins, Alexander Campbell Interiors, Rangers Pools. Please don't forget to drop us a like and a follow if you enjoy all our content. And if you're listening on the podcast channel, please subscribe. It really helps the podcast grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening.